Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner. Guys, game week. We've been through one week so far, Kent State, getting ready for Sacramento State. How's everybody doing today? Doing awesome, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited for our first review podcast of the season. Trevor, Jacob, how are you guys doing? Doing good. It was a quick weekend. A lot of football going on, though. I'm great. Week two, big week, exciting. I'm, it's good. It's good to be back. I think it was a pretty good first week for the Pac-12, all things considered, even though Oregon you, lost. You know what was awesome about it? What was awesome, boss? Just not having to work on Saturday and being able to just sit and watch all the football games. Uh, that was a pretty fun part of Saturday. We get it again this week with a, a Friday game. We'll be a little bit exhausted on Saturday. but yeah, We'll be vegetables, you know, but that's okay. Uh, Arizona State, uh, they were exhausted. They they played against Kent State. 30-7 to win over Kent State in week one in their season opener. Jaden Daniels looked pretty impressive, 284 yards, three total touchdowns. We'll get to his performance uh, a little bit later in this episode, but we're going to start this edition, this review uh, of ASU's opponent, a little bit different than normal. We're going to start with special teams and Michael Turk specifically and the stellar week, the stellar debut that he had. Chris, what more can you tell us about Turk's performance against Kent State? Well, I think anybody who watched it recognizes that that was uh, extremely rare and really kind of unprecedented. Uh 63-yard punt average, uh, punts of 64, 62, 65, 49, 75 yards. Uh, he said he mishit the 49-yarder. Now, to put that in perspective, that if he averages 49 yards for the season, he'll probably be first in the country. So we're talking about a game-changing uh, difference over what ASU had the last two years and Michael Sleep Dalton. ASU fans will remember before that, Matt Hawk was one of the better punters in the Pac-12, if not nationally, and now, of course, is a starter in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. And uh, while some punters previously haven't had this type of leg, they've been pretty good at pinning opponents mm-hmm. deep. But the difference really is if you have a bad offensive possession and you're pinned deep in your own end, you can change the field in a way that other people weren't able to. And Turk went from uh, ASU being on the 20 or 30 yard line and, and, and punting from inside its own, uh, you know, minus 20 to pinning opponents inside their 20 yard line. And there's just not a lot of guys that can do that. And also he did it with, with a very good operational time and a, a, just a mechanical soundness that was really rare. And, so much so, actually, Rob, that he's nine yards ahead of anybody else in the country after his first week. And this was the type of performance that sort of hinted at the possibility of him being able to maybe leave school early, potentially even this year. Now, a, a lot of people realize that you can go pro after your junior year, but some people may not realize that you can go pro after your redshirt sophomore year. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. It's three right. years removed from high school. And if Turk goes on to do anything that closely resembles this first game throughout the rest of the season, he'll be among the top punters in the country. And at that point, uh, he'll be a strong candidate to uh, to actually leave early. Punters don't get picked in the first three rounds almost ever. I think there's been one in the last 10 years uh, from my hometown, as a matter of fact. And he didn't end up doing very good as a pro. But there have been several who have been fourth, fifth round, sixth round type guys. But the thing is, is when you know there's not that much upside as a punter uh, in terms of the draft, you want to strike while the iron's hot. And so Turk got off to such a great start that if he's able to continue this, it's it's going to reflect really well on them. Um, 
uh, ASU can't really worry about that too much. You just want to have the best punting that you possibly can, and obviously uh, he, he's doing a great job. And Arizona State, we're going to move toward the overall offense and the picture uh, the Sun Devils showed against Kent State, against the Golden Flashers. 455 total yards of offense for Arizona State. Pretty balanced between passing and running. 284 passing, 171 rushing. Let's get first to Jaden Daniels' performance. The true freshman became the first true freshman in program history to start a season opening game. Jacob, how did you think he looked? I mean, it, it was impressive because, to me, it was very Manny Wilkins-esque, although this was his first performance, and obviously Manny Wilkins is now on the practice squad. Obviously, that is also news. He officially has made the practice squad with the Packers, but his presence in the pocket and his ability to kind of stand in when the face of pressure was very impressive. Obviously, it wasn't the most awe-inspiring performance from the offensive line, although after a film review, that's not totally the case. Donovan West did a nice job at center, but... But Daniels was impressive in his ability to escape the pocket, to remain composed. He looked very professional in everything that he did, and, and his decisions were very they were decisive. It, it, was, it was smart mm-hmm. football, and I think he did a good job. It was impressive. Trevor, what did you think of the offense and specifically Daniels' performance? Right, and I think it all goes back to the poise that he showed during preseason camp. It, it was Everyone was saying this is like a veteran, and he didn't look like a rookie in his first game too. And, and sure, he admitted he had had some pregame nerves, and he wasn't completely comfortable with his performance. He thought he could have done better. But with the ability for him to adjust, especially with the offensive line kind of breaking down, him having to go outside the pocket at times, he was able to fit in some really good throws and, and, and find some you know tight corners for to fit them in. So... The, the ability for him to adjust right away and be able to get off to a good start, not throwing the ball away, like not giving away any interceptions or putting the ball in danger was, was impressive on his part. Yeah, I thought he probably had two throws that he shouldn't have made, and then he missed uh, a, a few throws. In the RPO game, I don't think he was seeing the field particularly well. That was actually a strength of his going back to high school was uh, his field processing and decision-making quickly in some of the run-pass option stuff. There was a few missed opportunities. Uh, I also uh, think that he didn't climb the pocket as well as he did in practices. That was actually a strength in practice that um, I think Manny Wilkins struggled with early on in his career and wasn't really something that I thought was going to be an issue for Daniels. He was hanging back at about eight to 10 yards, a little bit too much when um, that's kind of in like the danger zone, the hitting zone for, for the opposing defensive lineman um, pass protection. You want that quarterback to be more in the four five, six yard mm-hmm. range. Uh, I think that a couple times he vacated prematurely when he shouldn't have left the pocket um, as I said, there was one for sure force throw in between two defenders, another one that I thought was questionable. But one of the things I pointed out in the 10 takeaways, which is on the site that I encourage everybody to read, is that the very first play of the game, Daniel saw a defensive uh, weakness, and he tried to check to a fade route on a scripted play that was supposed to be an easy pass into the flat for Brandon Ayuk. And it just shows the confidence that Daniels has with that he was like, okay, like, I know you want to boost my confidence with this easy throw to start the game, but I see this opportunity here because of where the safety is, and I got a man coverage thing mm-hmm. on Brandon Ayuk. I'm going to go for that. And and they were they were on a miscommunication because you know Brandon Ayuk wasn't expecting that on the first play, but it shows that Jaden Daniels has a lot of moxie. He's got a lot of self confidence. His belief in himself is really high, and um, that 
combined with the poise that he also demonstrated and just uh, commanding and controlling and the operational ex execution of running the right, you know, plays and everybody, everybody on the same page and not having procedural mistakes. That was all really good. We didn't see a lot of false starts or guys that weren't aligned properly. It, it, it worked to a cadence that you kind of wanted mm -hmm. to be like it had a rhythm that looked like uh, what an offense should be like with, with, a, with a more veteran quarterback and. Around the Pac-12, that definitely wasn't the case in the first week. Uh, I think a lot of people expected Dorian Thompson-Robinson to take a big step at UCLA, and the he guy really like, lost the ball twice good. in the pocket and really, really struggled. And you know, I, one of the things I was saying before the season is I think that James Daniels is going to be better than some of these other quarterbacks in the Pac-12 like a Thompson-Robinson right away. And that, to me, looks more validated by this. Now, Cincinnati mm -hmm. is a much better opponent, of course, than Kent State, right? So we have to see right. what's going to happen when ASU plays tougher opponents. But on the flip side to that, when you're when you're playing against you know easier competition, you can get into a rhythm better and get feeling good about yourself and get established and give your your coaches a good, really good understanding of what you're trying to do. And so for a first game, I would have to give Jane Daniels pretty high marks overall. And, and I was surprised, not surprised, but it was interesting to hear what Rob Likens had to say directly after the game, saying that he thought he did a really good job. Uh, referring to Daniels and that he did he was very solid and that what was most impressive to him was he didn't throw the ball in jeopardy he, he there was no interceptions and and Likens also took some of the blame and said I can do a better job and and I can help out more and there might be things that I was hesitant to do that I want to do more and know that he's capable of well um I think that's a really good point because especially with the injury to Cade Cody which they really learned the severity of on Monday, you're already kind of in the middle of your preparations and it's hard to make adjustments to having a, a new center. Mm -hmm. and, and some of the things that you probably would have done had you known a week earlier that you were, that this was the predicament that you were going to be in. So either they had to make changes late and on the fly, or they had to basically stick with their game plan with a new player as a freshman. And so Donovan West actually, uh, for a true freshman, man, he, he handled his business relatively well. Yeah. He gave up one bad sack and there were some other plays that weren't great, but you, you, what you have to really consider here is that almost all of the best players in the Pac-12 at the offensive line position are juniors, seniors, fourth-year, fifth-year players. Mm -hmm. Very, very seldom are you have true freshmen or, or redshirt freshmen who are out there that are, you're relying on. And the comparison that I made in the 10 takeaways is to Nick Kelly, who um, was a very good center for ASU in, in uh, 2013 through 2015. Of course, that includes the, the, the period of time when ASU had back-to-back 10-win -back seasons. Uh, Nick Kelly was a junior college player who had three years of eligibility coming out. And uh, in his third year, he was second team all league. He started his final 26 games, I believe, of his career. And w the way that I would sort of frame this up is I would say that Donovan West is a more athletic player who's now starting a year earlier than what we were able to see uh, from uh, from this guy that we're referring to and uh, Nick Kelly and and he's and so he's going to be a lot further along earlier on in his career as a result of this. Right. So we're talking about somebody that, that now, because the Sun Devils aren't going to have Kate Cody for probably the first four or five, maybe six games uh, or even longer, that by the time that we, we have grades for every player, right? So mm -hmm. the, the grade differential was about a 0.5 
at the beginning of the season between Donovan West and Kate Cody. Well, Cody's now going to be coming back from an injury, so he's not going to be at 100%. Donovan West is going to be improving in that span. So the gap is going to narrow between them to the point where you might just say as coaching staff, and this is kind of what I think Herm Edwards alluded to, let's just keep rolling with the freshman because we know that what he's going to be a better player over the long term, and we should just accelerate, continue to develop him for next year. So I, I really think that we're talking about somebody in Donovan West and he was a number seven center prospect in the country by 24 seven sports. Okay. So this is a, a good center prospect. He was a three star, but I, to my eye, he actually looked better than that. He played left tackle in high school, but he's a very athletic kid. He has great leverage. He comes off the football really well. He's smart, good initial quickness. He's a better athlete than any of the centers who have been good starting centers other than Cole Cabral in recent ASU history. So I think uh, the experience that he's getting right now is going to pay huge dividends later on. And you, I wouldn't even be surprised if we see West snapping to Jaden Daniels for at least the next you know three years, including this season. And building off of Donovan West's performance, what did you guys think of the complete offensive line's performance? ASU's offense gave up five sacks in the game, just 16 the entire last season. What did you make of how the line and Jaden Daniels played overall in terms of uh, avoiding sacks? Yeah, and it was shaky, and that's to be expected because there was a lot of movement in that last week with Cody's injury and things that had led up to it. Um, it seemed like Steve Miller didn't have the best game at right tackle, and that was something that uh, to look forward to this season is how he was going to transition, fit into that role as a senior. Cole Cabral at left tackle ha didn't have the best game there as well. So just some things that sh shaky, obviously, with how things shaped out and, and Cody's injury and things of that nature. And then and so, something else to talk about is we had discussed before that Cade, that Cade Cody was going to step in, and, and that was following a whole bunch of changes that had happened over the course of the offseason. Zach Robertson stepping away from the team for personal matters, then – Cody getting the starting role, and then you have Cole Cabral being forced to shift back to left tackle. And and Cabral, we knew, was not as skilled a left tackle as he is a center. And that was something that we had discussed before. So I, I think it's one of those things where they're going to have to figure it out quickly. I think that they're going to need to figure out a way to, to lock down what was problematic against Kent State, because as the season progresses and moves forward, there are a lot tougher teams with a lot better defensive fronts that'll pose a problem for them. And it was interesting that ASU's tackles struggled. Cole Cabral, Stephen Miller didn't have their best games uh, in the first game. And, and those are two guys you're really hoping, if you're ASU or an ASU fan, are really going to be dominant and, and, and very steady in their roles this season. If not, I think you have all kinds of issues that can open up. And, you know, you have the potential of, uh, of an injury to somebody like Jaden Daniels with, when your tackles aren't playing well. Well, against uh, an inferior opponent in the first game, you would expect that you're not going to get beaten by speed rushes on the edge. You see Miller held on one, beaten on another. I think Cole Cabral was, was average at best. Uh, the only plausible sort of explanation you could have to that in a one-on-one -on -one speed rush situation, especially on a third down when you know what they're going to be doing, is that you're not used to the rhythm of playing somebody else as opposed to the guys that you're going up against every single day in one-on-ones. And you, you kind of learn that their their movements and, and all that. So maybe that's going to kind of jar them, you know, and then they'll be better in this game. We guys, we talked about before the start of the season, the, the most questionable position groups on the ASU's roster. And I think pretty much we had a consensus that offensive line was like at the top. Right. And then when Kate Cody was out of the game and you're now playing a true freshman and, 
uh, you know, certainly in, in my time, I don't remember a true freshman and a freshman quarterback, much less both true freshmen. So I think that's to be expected. But it's also important to say that there's a lot of variables that go into sacks. So in this game, you had Jaden Daniels kind of, as I mentioned earlier, he's hanging a little bit too deep in the pocket sometimes. Maybe he's leaving the pocket prematurely. I think that Rob Likens acknowledged that some of the game planning was a little bit off and that also that they maybe ran some stunts and unexpected uh, asymmetric attacks that caught ASU off guard. You know, if the, if the guys don't know who they're supposed to be blocking and the communication is right on any given play, that's when you sometimes let free mm -hmm. runners come in between your gaps. And I, I feel like there was, it was, there was a few of those. Like there was a, a reach block that Cabral was expected to get, but he really shouldn't have had to get. But that was the way that the play was designed. Um, and some of the shifting and some of the were the techniques of, the, of where the guys were lined up uh, were unanticipated. But all of those things all go into how the performance of the group looks in this standpoint. And it definitely wasn't anywhere close to being good enough for what they're going to uh, need to be when they go to play in East Lansing at Michigan State, mm -hmm. you know, a week and a half from now as we're recording this. And one thing is I, I spoke with Dave Christensen about the offensive line, and he was saying that he was significantly more confident in the performance that they put together mm -hmm. than ha may have been seen by anybody. And he says, like, yes, were there five sacks? Sure. Is a lot of that debatable, he said? He says it is because you never know, like Chris just said, what the factors of the sack were. were J was Jaden Daniels in the wrong place at the wrong time? What went into the sack is something to consider, but what Christensen said is if he can get that group of five out there consistently working together over and over again, he has more confidence than he thinks was immediately portrayed in that one outing. And, and that was something that hearing him say that was interesting. So I, I found that as, as a point to definitely talk about. The reason that there's value in him saying that is because ASU actually was was shown to be extremely well coached last year on their offensive line with their protections. They had a really good plan of attack going into games, and then they also adjusted well on the fly to most of their better opponents. So it's not like some generic coach speak thing then you never actually see it actually realized. Uh, this is something that actually I put more stock in what he's saying about that. And it was interesting that whether or not you think the offensive line did, did well or struggled – they did not help Eno Benjamin a lot in the running game. Eno Benjamin, though, still had a pretty solid game, 22 carries, 102 yards. Um, he didn't really break off a signature long run. His longest run of the game was 17 yards. He had a touchdown in the passing game, though, uh, three catches for 32 yards. Pretty solid all-around game for, for Benjamin, considering what the offensive line was doing and the fact that Kent State was just stacking the box, trying to make it difficult on him, uh, particularly with a freshman quarterback, Jaden Daniels, that they were daring to throw the ball. Well, that's the key point that you just made. Um, we knew going into the season, and have talked all year, really, about how opponents were going to put an extra defender in the box and, and try to make ASU win on offense by throwing the football against a lot of man coverages. And that was on display. You know, Benjamin, he probably broke eight, nine, ten tackles, right? That's pretty good. It's better than the vast majority of running backs around the country did. It was a struggle to get to 100 yards. They put him back into the game to get 100 yards when he probably should have been on the sidelines. And Benjamin told, apparently told her, Edwards, let me get go on and get 100. Eno Benjamin told us that he had to take an IV during the game because he was a little dehydrated. And that also speaks to some of the issues that they've had. 
I, I still would say that ultimately uh, ASU is going to have to do a better job in its RPO game because what happens is Jaden Daniels wasn't very good in that respect in the opener. You're going to have to make sure when you're at the mesh point of giving the football, if that overhang defender is coming down quickly into the box, you have to pull the ball and deliver the football to the receiver who's going into that void. That's where that's where you can either have a plus one or an even number uh, in your run game. And I don't think that, that that worked. It's another area where it's like the sack's given up, there's all these variables, and also the run game, there's all these variables. You have to make teams back off and play you a little bit differently than ASU was able to do in that first game. And that's one of the areas that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, if they make an evolution of from uh, that game to Sacramento State. And one quick note, Benjamin forced 11 missed tackles, uh, according to Jeremy Hawks, uh, ASU SID, tied for second most That's nationally. Pro football focus, yeah. Yes. So he's getting it from pro football focus, which is relatively reliable. You know, So, I mean, a missed tackle is you know, subjective. But the, the point is, is that if Benjamin's making roughly 11 missed tackles, and he's still barely cracking the hundred yard mark when something he did that like nine times last season or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, that's not a great sign, and it's illustrative of the way teams are going to defend ASU and also some of the issues with Jaden Daniels' youth. And to to go off of that, Chris, this was against a, a Kent State defense that had graduated all three of its of its defensive linemen from last year, and, and a team that within that also gave up two hundred twenty rush yards per game. So if ASU couldn't get, get it going against Kent State, that shows you know, what this issue could potentially be. And it seemed like the only time that Benjamin got going was in the third quarter when they had that nine place or it was the uh, ASU's first possession at third quarter. They had seven consecutive rushes to set up the, the score there. And that was really the only time that Benjamin got going otherwise. So, And and for me, I think that that Trevor, Trevor, your point is, is super important, but it's also kind of a double edged sword because we had talked with the coaching staff about how, the changes with the Kent State defense, the newcomers that came in, made it very difficult for them to study film. They weren't able to go into that matchup and, and watch what Kent State was able to do specifically with the personnel that they were going to run out there. And Cole Cabral even talked about the fact that, that that made it difficult. He says not knowing who was going to be out there is certainly a challenge because you're not prepared 100% of the way for everybody. So, it, it, I mean, he was able to rush for 100 yards and not having that film study, it's not a terrible performance at all. Well, it is true that the more film that you have an, of an opponent in their recent weeks leading up to that, you're more dialed in about what they're going to do schematically and with their personnel. And so, but this also, was a 2-10 team yeah, in but, Kent State. But also, if you're, if you're, if you're, AS, if you're ASU, you're, you're probably being smarter to work on your stuff more than Kent State stuff, right? Like you're better to serve to utilize that week to two weeks, getting ready for Michigan State, perfecting what you guys are trying to do with a lot of your scheme versus really learning and studying what Kent State's going to try to do to us and how we need to stop it because you're, you know you're going to win that game anyways, and so you're kind of divesting from what maybe you should be doing. And, and Jaden Daniels threw the ball around very well to different receivers, Four receptions for Brandon Ayuk, who led the group with 140 yards and the long 77-yard touchdown. That was, I think, sort of the highlight of the game overall. That 77-yard uh, catch-and-run touchdown reminded people of Nikhil Harry. Herm Edwards said that following the game, that that was kind of the reversing the field a little bit that, that uh, Harry showed a couple times in the 2018 season. Frank Darby had the 42-yard uh, catch that was Daniel's first completion of his of his college career and of his college debut, 
and that he he finished with three receptions, 53 yards. Kyle Williams, quiet game, two receptions, 20 yards. Uh, Ricky Pearsall caught a, uh, one pass for 16 yards. Tommy Hudson, A.J. Carter had had a, a nice 16-yard catch and run. What did you guys think of how the skill players overall did in this game? I, I honestly thought, especially the wide receivers, it was pretty impressive. I think that there, there was one particular play between Brandon Ayuk and Jaden Daniels that they talked about in the postgame press conference where there was a little bit of a miscommunication. But once those little things get ironed out and, and we see this team get deeper and deeper into the season, I actually do think that there are, there are very skilled wide receivers on this team. I remember you, uh, the, we were talking about how Brandon Ayuk was a guy to look out for this year. He's talented. He's fast. And he proved it. That 77-yard touchdown, he showed off the speed. He showed off the ability to miss tackles. He's an impressive player. I, I was actually very impressed with the skill players' abilities and what they were able to do against Kent State. And especially the newcomers for wide receivers too. Jordan Curley and Ricky Pearsall got into elevated roles in this game, obviously, due to the thin depth that's been going on. And even though Curley didn't record a reception, there was one play I remember where he had gone for one toward the end zone and his speed was impressive there. And that's something that coaches noted after the game. And Ricky Pearsall's physicality also being able to come in and play X, they did show some things. And, and Coach Charlie Fisher said that you know, he was excited for those guys and felt like they were the future of this team last week when we spoke with him, and, and that's something that's going to be continued to watch on. So uh, there was a lot to unpack with some of the skill stuff. I thought uh, really great play, of course, from Brandon Ayuk. That was obvious. I still am waiting to see more of the route diversity. Rob Likens talked after the game about he thinks he's a really good route runner. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to see that. Uh, this to me was more of like get the ball to the guy in space and let him just beat everybody. Um, the the big play to Frank Darby, we know that Darby's got that in his bag, right? Do we see many of the other types of more intricate route stuff from Darby? Not yet. Kyle Williams had a drop. I don't, and he didn't really make a lot of plays, you know, to me, to my eye, anyway. So I'm interested to see what that's going to look like. Uh, Brandon Curley flashed speed, but didn't really see him open that much. Jordan Curley. Sorry, didn't really didn't really uh, get open that much. Uh, Ricky Pearsall definitely looked looked good out there. Showed toughness. He missed. Uh, there was one opportunity that Daniels missed Pearsall where he was open over the middle. One of the few opportunities that I think were not there. ASU went to a lot of twelve personnel, especially the, the drive that Trevor talked about to open the third quarter, where they went to two tight ends and they ran the ball all the way down the field. Uh, Donovan West, I think, you know, was benefited in that se sequence of getting into like a little bit more of a rhythm. I saw him make some really good blocks. And then also Nolan Matthews on the edge had some really good blocks in that. And they wanted to see him sort of show up more physically and get his feet wet in that game. Uh, so so including one the touchdown run, I think he was involved in a combo block. Uh, that, that was that was a uh, successful play. So I think that it was good as far as these guys getting their sea legs, but not nearly enough for beating better opponents, right? And when the offensive line is going to be thin and a little bit maybe shaky at times, they're going to need everyone around them to actually play at a very high level for ASU to be successful against the better opponents that they're going to play this year. And, in order for that to happen, they're going to have to take a big jump with their level of play in these first two weeks. And defensively, we'll shift there. The The defense didn't give up a, a pass longer than 21 yards on the game. Uh, 80 passing yards com combined uh, for the two quarterbacks by Kent State. 
the running for, for the Golden Flashes was a little bit better. Uh, 120 yards rushing, uh, mostly Joel Shaw uh, really doing most of that. 16 attempts. He was averaging 4.2 yards per carry. He had 70 yards on the game. But it was more what Arizona State was doing so well in forcing Kent State into uh, six pass breakups for Arizona State, two for Kobe Williams, one for Cam Phillips, one for Ashari Crosswell. Jack Jones had one as well as a, as a forced fumble. Uh, the defense looked to be, in my opinion, on a very high level. Uh, and I know that they were playing a weaker opponent, a non-Power 5 opponent, but they looked like they were further along than the offense to me. And it really seemed like the cornerback position showed that it could be potentially one of the most deep on this team with how Jack Jones is able to come in. I think Danny Gonzalez said uh, today, uh, Tuesday, that there was 37 snaps for him and then also for Chase Lucas, who was feeling a little sick before that game. He came in and forced a fumble, and then Kobe Williams was obviously, obviously shut down pretty much the whole game against Kent State. So that unit really impressed, and then they have another guy in Marcus Davis who the coaches feel like is a guy that can really improve as he continues his time here at ASU. And and the secondary was was really great, and I would also think that Kaylin that excuse me, Kalen Curse Thomas was was fantastic in that game. Three and a half tackles for loss, five total tackles. One and a half of those tackles for loss came from a sack and a half. He was very impressive. The defensive player of the week. He wore that Mandrake jersey for Arizona State this week in practices. It was a really good performance for a senior who was able to come out in his last year of eligibility with the Sun Devils and 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 do a very good job. And, and we had talked with 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 Antonio Pierce about how this was not an opportunity for him to say, well, well, this is the last year it's done, and to kind of roll over and just you know be done with it. But but this was an opportunity to come out because it wasn't over and play impressively. And I think Kirst Thomas did a very good job of doing that. I was very impressed with his performance. Danny Gonzalez was so frustrated that they didn't pitch a shutout in that game the third and sixth uh play that crosswell gave up the touchdown on uh it was a check with me situation which means that they were trying to get the players to the sidelines with their eyes to get into a zone coverage based upon the formation that was being run out because they actually had a hint that that was going to be a slot fade and that's what it was it, a lot of times uh the, the good offenses they really try to target safeties in man coverage situations, especially the less athletic ones. Uh, ASU is now playing left and right Rangers as opposed to boundary and field because of the improved athleticism of their boundary side Rangers with Cam Phillips and Willie Hartz. Uh, so that that's a benefit for ASU. But Ashari Crosswell in man coverage probably should still be able to make that play. His technique wasn't very good. And also uh, Gonzalez and maybe other coaches felt like he was a little bit tired as well, uh, which was a factor. But Overall, ASU absolutely shut down this team in the passing game, and they actually put up some pretty decent yards in in, in, in last season uh, with with their ability to throw the football. Just wasn't there at all. Um, I think it was you, Jacob, who mentioned just the number of pass breakups in this game. Uh, the guys were just blanketed. Kobe Williams blanketed. Jack Jones blanketed. Uh, Cam Phillips didn't give up anything. Chase Lucas, I don't think, gave up anything. Their depth, talent, athleticism, and the no drop-off in their speed from their ones to their twos is probably unlike anything that I've seen in my time covering ASU. And what's crazy about it is, is that all these guys, except for Kobe Williams and uh, Tyler Wilde, who didn't even play in this game, are, are juniors or younger, right? And 
So they're they're trending into a rarefied air type of a place in terms of their capability to shut opponents down. Kobe Williams is one of the top graded players in the Pac-12 overall on defense. And um, I don't think ASU was as good against the run in this game. I thought it was kind of – they had some missed tackles. Guys got bounced off of, and that made it look a little bit probably worse than what it, what it really was, and they'll have to get better. I think they had, had 16 missed tackles, according to Danny Gonzalez. Kaylin Chris Thomas was excellent. I thought Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler for being – among ASU's tackle leaders, had probably just kind of average games overall. Uh, but another really positive sign for ASU up front was the play of seven guys in their defensive front, all of whom I think are capable of being successful at this level. Uh, DJ Davidson only had two tackles in the game, but to my eye, he was all over the place showing up. He isn't just somebody that can beat you with, with straight line power over the center he also can beat you going to either gap and he's somebody that 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 allows you to run a broader spectrum of a lot of your schemes so uh before the season we felt like this was a good asu defense maybe a very good asu defense and that really was just reinforced with what we saw in the opener and it'll be interesting to see how this defense does uh, against better competition and more competition this week against Sacramento State, that game on Friday. We'll have a premium podcast, a member-only podcast for you with complete analysis about Sacramento State and, and even looking toward Michigan State the week after on September 14th. Uh, but for one last time, for publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner, I'm your host Rob Warner saying so long and thank you for tuning in.